Hey, we're in a series called Summer Sound Bites. Let me define very quickly what a sound bite is. If you want greater context, I'm gonna be talking about a couple things today. You can always go back on our YouTube channel and you can watch past sermons. Uh, we started the series two weeks ago, and so you might wanna go back and specifically last week's, I really laid out some things that we're gonna be tying into today. I laid foundational context in the first week. Let me define what a soundbite is. It's a snippet of text taken from a larger body of text or a narrative. Uh, nerdy side of my brain, uh, I love information. And so I found this interesting. This term was coined in the 70s by US media. The first group in society that grabbed a hold of this powerful uh, posture of a soundbite was the political world. So we see soundbites most often used in political realms. But I have to say, in 2021, I feel like everybody is using sound bites. We live and die by sound bites. We form theologies, philosophies, and like we pass final judgment on sound bites. We don't even have full context. So the problem with a sound bite is, is that we oftentimes are able to manipulate or misinterpret things that are being said. Because what we do is we fill in the gap with information and the information we fill it in with is our own bias and how we see things, okay? So we talked about we need to dismantle bias. We want to enthrone, we want to dethrone bias. We want to enthrone the king of kings. We want to see things the way that God sees them. We want to think the way that God thinks. And so every single week, we're going to have a summer soundbite that we are going to simply examine a snippet of text from scripture so that we can discover this deeper revelation, this deeper truth that it holds. You with me? Let's jump in today. Our summer soundbite today is Matthew 7, verse 1. This is what it says. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Most of the time, this is how we see this used as a soundbite. Don't judge. We need greater context, because that is not what this is saying two sections to this message that you're going to hear from me. We're going to have the breakdown. I'm going to break down what this really means, and then we have the shakedown. You know what a shakedown is? Shakedown is when you've been robbed. You've been lied to. You've been deceived, and I want to tell you something. There is an enemy who wants to deceive and lie to us and wants us to be victim to a shakedown, and we're going to kick him to the curb. First, we're going to start with the breakdown. If you're ready, Turn to somebody next to you. If you're on an online campus, shout to the person in the other room. We're going to break it down. I wish I had a beat right there I could drop. Okay, anyway. Like a dubstep beat would be super. Does anyone else hear that? <laughs> All right, let's make it happen. Who wants to make that happen? Okay. Number one, we have to ask some key questions. Context requires questions, Okay. Jesus is making this statement regarding judgment because why? Okay, the current government and religious structures of the day that Jesus is speaking directly to were harshly passing eternal judgment on people. This is evidenced in the fact that Jesus was tried and he was condemned to death on a cross. He was innocent. He did nothing that required that harsh, overreaching judgment to put him to death. And in doing so, what culture was doing at the time, and I think we can relate to this in culture today, is culture at the time was saying, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there is no hope for you. 
There's no redemption. There's no reconciliation. There's no pathway of progress for you to move from what it is you've done, from how you've been marked. You are condemned and you are condemned to hell. And that's where culture was at. Jesus came for a specific purpose. Let's define this word judge. It means to condemn. It means to sentence as, as in a, like a, a magisterial manner. Uh, going into a courtroom, a magistrate, a judge is going to sentence you and pass final judgment. It also means to mark so that we can understand this correctly, what was happening in this day and age, in this culture. And again, I think we can relate to this. This is relevant to 2021. People are being marked with something and, and, and we have no pathway or progress of moving from what we've been marked by. So if you did something 15 years ago, you're going to be judged, condemned, held to trial, put to the stake, and nailed to a cross today for something you did. There's no hope for you. There's no redemption. There's no reconciliation. And that's what Jesus came to write, was this wrong motive, wrong mode of judgment. So Jesus comes with authority as our only hope. In the midst of judgment that presents no hope for you, no hope for me, Jesus Christ comes with authority as the only hope to change the legal structure of salvation from sin through the reconciliation of the cross. What culture wants to condemn, Jesus is going to bring hope through the cross. So Jesus is addressing the individuals and the structures that are attempting to act with authority on your and my eternal matters of hope. Now, who in this room wants hope? I need hope. We need hope. So Jesus starts pointing out the lack of self-awareness and self-reflection and the integrity of those who are acting with this superior authority over humanity's redemption. And so he uses this term when he goes on in verse five, if you, if you again, greater context, if you read this text, he goes on and he says, essentially, hey, you, you, before you try to pull a speck, a piece of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye, your friend's eye, You should deal with the board, the log, the stick of lumber in your own eye. Now, what this is not saying is this is not saying that we don't deal with correction. But we have to deal with the integrity of this. And so what Jesus calls out, and he wants to be specific, I want you to understand what this integrity means. He uses this word, verse 5. He says, hypocrite. I love this word. It's a Greek word. And it's the word that we would use for all the celebrities we watch on big screens and nowadays smaller screens called an actor. It's a person who plays the character or plays a role of someone else. But here's the key to a hypocrite. A hypocrite, an actor, can play the role of somebody, commit the acts that are necessary to play the role but they bear zero responsibility for the actions of the character they're playing. 
So hypocrites at the time, what are they doing? They're putting on a face of another person to play the role of them. In this case, the hypocrite has a hidden agenda to to project power and protect uh, the position of power by hiding behind the mask of God's authority. They're acting, they're putting on the face of, they're putting on the mask of the one and only authority that only Jesus has and they, they operate with that mask to bring condemnation and judgment. They're actors. I want the role, but I don't want to bear the responsibility. Have you ever met anybody that presents themselves this way? There's perhaps lots of males who have impregnated women but they don't want to bear the responsibility of that impregnation. And that's what makes you a father. Because even a dog can impregnate and mate. Fathers, we need you. We are not donors. Amen, said all the men. I want to encourage you. You're strong. You're presently powerful. You have what it takes. Stay in the game. Society is tearing you apart right now, telling you to not be a man. And I'm preaching to you right now and telling you, you're a man. You have what it takes. Take on the role. Step into the responsibility. Don't be a hypocrite. Be a hero. Amen? The other services didn't get that. Jesus is the only hope in the position of power to save someone. And you know, here's the deal. We can all relate to this. Because we've all either been judged harshly, this is the truth, or we've judged harshly. That's the truth. I've done it. You've done it. This actually has nothing to do with our faith in Jesus Christ. This has to do with the hiccup of humanity (laughs) where we... Just go, I want to act as judge, jury, and savior. (laughs) Right? So let me rephrase this. Jesus is speaking out against a wrong, self-righteous judgment of nailing someone to a cross rather than bring him to the foot of the cross to find the hope in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about. Now, what's the lie? What's the shakedown? We're, we're, the shakedown's about ready to get shook down. Okay? I'm going to show it. Jake, you got that image? This right here is how people in the world read the Bible. Matthew 7, judge not. We scratch the rest of the scripture out. 
We, we burn context. And so this, this term right here, when we read this, say judge not, this is what we're really saying. This verse is most often used as a refusal to receive correction, feedback, or to be held accountable altogether. We say, you know, don't, don't judge. You're real judgy judge. Judgy judge, judge. You're judgmental. Why do you judge? Don't judge. Do you think you're Jesus? I don't think so. Show me the holes in your hands. Oh, no holes. You're not holy. So this is, this is what we hear. We hear, uh, hey, let me live the way that makes me feel good without feeling guilty. Um, <laughs> massive problem with this don't feel kind of social mindset. We're, we're, like we see in government legislature right now that's being passed based on what makes you feel good. Just do it. So if you feel it, do it. Well, I feel like I should drive your car. I feel like I should live in your house. I, I, feel, I feel like your husband and wife should be mine. This, guys, okay, as, as heavy as this is about what I'm about to say, this is true. You can research it. You can find it. Right now, there's language being used. When people have a perversion toward pedophilia, the abuse of children, there's language right now being pushed in society to legislate people's ability to be able to not be made to feel guilty about their perversion and to make it okay because we don't want to make them feel bad and we shouldn't, what? Judge them. And they use that scripture to back it up. Research it yourself. This is not opinion. I'm going to tell you something right now. You want to see Daddy Pat raise up? You bring those feelings to my front door on one of my kids. No one in this room is going to agree with that. No one. But this is where we're at. So we refuse any correction and we throw off all feedback and we denounce any accountability. Don't judge. And then we even say, you're not perfect. However, we have to understand the positive side of this idea of judging. There's a positive side. 1 Corinthians 5.12. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Who are outsiders? Oh, thank you for asking. Let me tell you. Look at the next part of the verse. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge, judge those inside the church who are sinning. So who are outsiders? Those who are what? Outside the church. Now, it doesn't mean everyone who's not sitting in this building right now. It means those who have not committed to run the race of following Jesus. Now, I just very quickly want to address this. I think, it, I think by and large, if we can get our heads wrapped around this as followers of Jesus, I just want to speak to you if you're a follower of Jesus. I, I want you to understand this. This is, there's two key truths that this scripture is holding. Number one, holding someone accountable to a goal that they're not working toward is unfair and it is not loving. It 
If I, if I showed up on your doorstep at 5.30 every single morning and I knocked on the door and I say, hey, why are you not up? Why do you not have your running shoes on? Why do you not have your gear to go swimming? Why are you not dressed to go on a 40, 50 mile bike ride? What's the matter with you? And then I condemned you for it. You would look at me, you would backhand me, tell me I was a moron and you would go back to bed. Why? Because you're like, I didn't sign up to race in a triathlon. Why are you holding me accountable to something that I'm not actually trying to make progress toward? It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Then why do we, as followers of Jesus, feel the need to go to someone who is not signed up to run the race of following Jesus and try to instruct them toward a goal that they haven't signed up for? So I'm going to tell you what the reputation of the church becomes. The church is nothing but judgmental hypocrites. Why? Because we're wrongly judging. We're attempting to hold people accountable to something that they didn't sign up for yet. And we're hypocritical when we aren't willing to even fall underneath accountable relationship ourselves. There's a spirit of condemnation that I think is, is alive and thriving in society. This is the name of it. It lives and die, dies by this judgment that we call cancel culture. And we've been instructed that we don't operate in the same mode that the world operates in. So if the world is employing cancel culture, condemning people, passing final judgment, we are not as believers, as followers of Jesus, to match the tone of the world and fall into temptation and begin to do the same sinful thing that's happening in society. You better slap the preacher and tell him to preach, man. I need like the church lady up here who like pull, you know, dances and start, you know. So here's the church's role, okay? I'm gonna give us language, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna give you instruction. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this, I want you to know something. Here's my role in your life. And I pray this is what every single one of us as a follower of Jesus does for anyone that we know that's not a follower of Jesus. Our role is to introduce people to the life and to the love of Jesus Christ. There was a day in my life that someone introduced me to the life and to the love of Jesus Christ. My whole world was a mess. I was hopeless. I was depressed. I was full of anxiety. I wasn't 100% convinced that I was living up to the fullness of what I was created for. Can you relate to this? And somebody said, I got to introduce you to my friend. His name is Jesus and they coached me through that. Our role is to introduce. However, the second key truth in this passage in Corinthians is this. Accountable correction as followers of Jesus. And this is going to be kind of, if you're a note taker, I'm going to read this twice. Accountable correction as followers of Jesus 
A follower of Jesus is someone who's living dependent on Jesus and in interdependence with his church. Go back and watch last week's sermon on YouTube if you want full context for that. My whole message was that. Jesus Christ died for you to save you, but to save you into his church. No rogue Christianity. That's actually called an orphan. Jesus saved you into a family. So listen, accountable correction as followers of Jesus for the purpose of reconciliation is appropriate. It is necessary and it is loving. So here's our role. As followers of Jesus, here's our role with one another. We're going to introduce the world to the life and love of Jesus. But in our interdependence one to another, we're going to instruct each other in living in a greater capacity in how we live and love like Jesus. We introduce Jesus to the world. We instruct one another. So judgment as a correction, judgment as a correction, coaches a person toward the feet of Jesus at the foot of the cross for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation and progress. That's the purpose of it. Now, without the challenge of appropriate correction to deepen your investment in your relationship with Jesus, without that challenge of accountability, without that challenge of correction, to deepen your investment in your relationship with Jesus, your commitment to working toward living and loving like Jesus will be depressed. Now, as I use this word depressed, it means to be pressed down. To be held then less than what is possible. Leaving you and I as followers of Jesus to feel less than fulfilled. That we're not walking in the fullness of what we were created for. Correction in this case provides wealth of insight. On how you can maximize opportunities to grow. Do you know that every single one of us, no matter where we're at in our relationship with Jesus Christ, every one of us has, has areas of opportunity that we can grow? How are you gaining insight to those areas? Um, I, I'm going I'm to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of <laughs> a head up on this is uh, it's not an inside job. You need someone else around you. Okay. You need someone to point out your blind spots, a.k.a. self-awareness and self-reflection so you're not a hypocrite. You need someone to say, bro, you, you're trying to deal with the, the sawdust, but you got like...
Proverbs 25, 12. To one who listens, and then let me define as a person who listens. In the, in the King James, it's to one who <laughs> has an obedient ear. To one who listens. The person that hears it, hears the correction and goes, okay, I'll do that. When, when I employ a coach, they say, here's your error's opportunity for growth. Now I'm going to let you hear it, and then it's my job to employ that and be obedient to do it so that I can maximize. Okay? We want to get mad at our personal trainer when we sign up for the 24-hour fitness. But the truth is, you're not listening. <laughs> All right. So the one who listens or has an obedient ear, valid criticism. What? Criticism is bad, bad, bad. No, valid criticism. You know, the, the word for this is wise correction. Wise correction. Godly correction. Scripture also says in Timothy that we should use this very book, the word, the ordained. Lack of error. No error in it. We should use this to reprove, to correct, to bring correction to one another. That's wisdom. It's not my opinion. It's not, I'm going to sit with you and go, let me give you my opinion. <laughs> what does the word of God say? Wise correction. These are the boundary markers, right? Not my opinion. These are the boundary markers. What does it do? Valid criticism or wise correction is like gold earring or other gold jewelry. <laughs> Valid criticism means this. It means to judge, by the way, if you look it up. <laughs> but it says judge not. Don't judge. Stop judging Christians. Yes, yeah, stop being hypocrites. Do not judge, right? Got it. But one to another, we have to judge. We judge every day. You make judgment calls on what you're going to wear. This morning you did this. You're like, ah. <laughs> nah. Dads, dads are like, do my biceps look big in this shirt? You know? Dude, do some leg workouts. Um, it means, valid criticism means to critique for purpose of correction. It's not condemnation. And it's not an attempt to cancel. So critiquing, um, I, I, I love the paradigm of coaching. Critique, critiquing is coaching. What does a coach do? A coach sits, watches the game, and gives instruction. Now the players have to go out and have to employ that, have an obedient ear, right? I'm not here to live your faith for you. I'm here as a coach to give you instruction and give you wise advice. Now what you do with this up to you, I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm going to keep telling you, yeah, you should probably listen here. Just You got... So critiquing is coaching. Condemning is that cancel culture. Now here's the saddest truth is that cancel culture has crept into the church. The same thing that we see. So I'm not picking on society. I'm actually picking on the spirit of condemnation that's, that's living underneath this name cancel culture. And it's crept inside the church. So cancel culture, how has it done it? It's depressing your value. The value that Jesus Christ invested all of who he was in his commitment to you. It's depressing your value. This idea that you can't receive correction is depressing your value. How? It's canceling the healthy, wealthy, and the wise coaching of correction. 
So we're not even, as followers of Jesus, we're like, no, don't, don't talk to me. Don't tell me. Who are you to tell me? So we need healthy judgment. And it aims to coach one another toward progress. Depression and anxiety. I'm going to speak to this very quickly. Is rampant in our society right now. I'm going to tell you why. Because it's rooted in a feeling that there's a lack of progress. There was a moment in my life, and I wish I could tell you that this moment I'm about to tell you happened pre-20 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus after I was introduced to him, but it's not. It's within the last five years. Depression and anxiety. It's because you feel like there's a lack of progress. Because there's an ideal that you have in your head and you don't feel like you're actually getting there. You're not measuring up. So if we sit and we think about all the areas that we're not measuring up enough, we start feeling depressed and anxious. And that's why we're seeing higher rates of opioid use and substance abuse and why America's life expectancy as a first world country is declining because we're depressed and we're anxious. Why? Because there's a lack of accountability and accountability is the only thing that can coach you toward progress. Let me define accountability because we can get weird with this word and we can get weird with it. It's the ability to be held to account for where we can increase our commitment by investing appropriately. So a healthy coach of correction, healthy instruction to one another, it's the outside call to invest and to increase commitment. So if you and I are living life in a relationship now, caveat, we are not opened. I'm not saying that we are, you're part, okay, you're part of Movement Church. I'm not saying that everyone's part of the Movement Church. It's a free-for-all. So every single person that attends is part of this family. We're just telling each other where we need to be created. Like, this is relational. This is why, woo, woo, rewind, back up to last week, dependent on God, interdependent on one another. Why are we independent on one another? Because we have to develop relationship. Jesus Christ was like, he called the 12. 12, he had three, but he really like dealt with the one, right? So I'm not saying you need to have a relationship with 12. I'm saying you gotta have one or two people in your life that you have an open heart to be able to say, I want to receive the healthy accountability, the coaching of correction in my life. Why? Because I want to make progress and I want to kill depression and I want to kill anxiety and I want to stamp out the shakedown that the enemy wants to bring to me. There's a, psych, there's a term in psychology, it's called escalation of commitment. What the Bible is trying to teach us we have really smart people that break down our personalities and our brains saying the exact same thing. We just listen to the Bible, okay? This is what psychology, it's escalation of commitment. Here's the principle. It states that each time you invest yourself in something, you become more committed to it. Quite simple, isn't it? We're not committed to the church because we're not investing in the church. Literally. We're not giving financially. We're not serving. We're working against a law of proportion. And what we're doing is, is we want to come to church and we want to receive what we want to receive and consume. We don't want to be held accountable as followers of Jesus a lot of times. We don't want to be in an accountable relationship, but we demand the payoff for the investment that we're not willing to make. I want to retire with a full 401k, but I don't want to have to put any money into it. But you can only influence what you invest in. 
Galatians 1.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto what? The right path. Why is this key? I love this picture of being on the right path because accountable correction reinforces boundaries. And boundaries clarify the pathway to make progress towards your goal. And what's your goal? If you're a follower, your goal is to live and to love like Jesus. But you need boundaries because boundaries actually enforce what, what and clarify the pathway. So what are we going to do? I love you, man. We have relationship. I see this in you. If you don't have relationship, get in relationship, okay? Subliminal, not so subliminal. If you're not in relationship, get in relationship. Man, if you're not in relationship, if you don't know anybody in the church, come up to me afterwards. I will get your name and phone number and I will engage you in relationship in the church. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. What temptation? Of being a hypocrite. We already talked about this. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think that you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. I love this. You are not that important. Message, messenger. I don't want to hate mail. It's Father's Day. Take it easy on me. Pay careful attention to your own work. Why? Because that's how you ensure integrity and you don't become a hypocrite. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. We are each responsible for our own conduct. Remember, I want you to remember this. Living and loving like Jesus always turns a person toward Jesus. We introduce and we instruct. We introduce and we instruct. The end goal is to always draw people toward living and loving more like Jesus. That is the goal. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Very quickly, I want to make this practical. I cannot leave you without a challenge. So here's the challenge. I want you to spend some time this week. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you need to be introduced to the life and the love of Jesus? You do not have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I want to introduce you to my friend Jesus. He is your only hope. He is going to draw out of you the fullness of who you were created to be. Everything else is a lie. To put quite simply, everything else is a lie. False promises, false advertising, fake news, whatever you want to call it. It ain't real. The only hope is Jesus Christ. Or I want you to evaluate, is that what you need? Or do you need instructed to live and to love more like Jesus today? Which one is it? Then I want to take what we talked about last week. My challenge was that you would step in and you would attend a service one time a week. Because you can do anything, what? Why did I say one time a week last week? Because in my message, I brought up a statistic, a poll that was just done in the only group of people in all of the United States that saw an increase in mental health were those who attended a weekly religious service how many times a week? One time a week. If you attend less than one time a week, there's a 16% decrease in your mental health. 
Frequency matters. Why? Because you and I need reminded of these powerful truths routinely. We are getting hammered when we walk out these doors. Man, you're getting hammered when you walk out these doors. You need men around you to say, you know what? That's a lie, bro. That's a lie, bro. You're gonna quit. You don't have quit in you. That's a lie. You're gonna quit right now. You don't have quit in you. So here's my challenge. Now we're gonna activate this. You ask the question, which one are you? And then I'm gonna challenge you. You step in to the church, but this week I want you to step into relationship. One person, you find one person that you can submit yourself to. You open your heart up and you say, you can speak to me for the purpose of coaching me and instructing me toward the greatness that I want to experience in my life. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, no matter where we stand in our relationship with you, that this morning what we're doing is every single one of us, our hearts are being pressed closer to you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to simply right now, you can just simply say, and you say, hey, I, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I need hope. If that's you, if you're on our online campus, you can say, I need the hope of Jesus. And our stream team, our minister team that's on our online campus will we'll spend some time with you and love you. If you're in the room, do not leave this place without coming forward. I really, I, and as I'm so serious about coaching. I, I, the reason I want you to come forward is you gotta know who's on the team so you know who you're coaching. <laughs> so come forward and say, I, I need, I'm making, today, introduce me. To, I'm making the, introdu- like, thank you. I'm stepping in. Don't leave this place where the ministry team wants to pray. For the rest of us, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're willing to accept this challenge, I want you to just open your hands up and receive this gift today. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for a deepening in commitment by a deepening in investment. Lord, that we would be willing to be held accountable to these things. We would have the boundaries that are put around us so that we would stay on the right path as we live and we move and we work toward living and loving more like Jesus Christ. That we, when we do so, are gonna change the entire world. That this little family in San Marcos, California, wherever you're watching from on your online campus, you have the power if living life this way to change the world. And we're after transformed lives. We wanna see the world transformed. Increase our commitment as we increase our investment. We thank you, Jesus. In your powerful name, everyone said amen and amen.